well, peace too. You need to get Australia's act together there and maybe colonize the middle. I feel like there's a missed opportunity. <laughs> And welcome to this edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. You are listening to episode 167, Flagship Friday. This episode will be released March 22nd on Friday. My name is Kareem Baruke, and I'm happy to be here with my co-hosts, Brent Philbin. Whoa, whoa, what's up, what's up, chillin'? And Adam Levy. Hello, hello. All right. So if you haven't heard our Friday flagship, it is, of course, our weekly episode where we look at all cryptocurrency news, events, updates, things of that nature. And we like to kick things off with what have we released recently? Brent, you want to let us know? Uh, well, we haven't released much other than the flagship. Uh, Kareem, you came into town for South by Southwest. So we did our actual first in-person flagship since like, I don't know, early 2000 something or other we actually it was hard to do in-person stuff because we didn't have the right audio equipment so we used to just kind of walk all over each other when we talked <laughs> and we one time we like tried to do one together and we just went into the opposite rooms and and did that but yeah we we have a podcast studio here so we were able to get that done and hang out uh we went to south by southwest crypto content was a little bit lacking i'm gonna say the there was only a couple of days of crypto panels and a lot of them were very kind of shilly oh what's the next big thing in blockchain and that kind of thing so we didn't do a whole lot of those we did do a panel that was talking about the role of blockchain in eliminating poverty and we did a little interview with ourselves after that uh, panel and hopefully we're going to have an interview with somebody on that panel and just for funsies i'm going to go ahead and play that interview now so again the audio quality is not as good as you're used to from us not really an interview more of a, like an overview right we're, it's just us talking about what we felt about the panel yeah we talked about the panel afterwards so we're going to insert that in here you can listen to that it takes about seven minutes so enjoy that and then when we come back we'll you know talk to you all right so we just got out of the Eliminating global poverty panel yes. at the South by Southwest. With blockchain technology. With blockchain of technology, of course. So, Brent, what did you think right off the bat? Well, so at first I thought it was going to suck because honestly, the first two people they talked, no, well, the first person they talked to, there was a big language barrier. The moderator was kind of a dick. And the, the third guy was there to shill. But the fourth guy. We're going to have him on the show. Vinay Gupta. Yeah, Vinay Gupta, yeah. Was awesome. He was one of the my favorite people that I've seen talk at a conference so far, maybe outside of Charles Hoskinson. He actually reminded me a lot of Charles in the way that he applied so much uh, context to all of the points that he was making, right? So he wasn't just like talking about his specific product, but he was, everything had either historical or economic context. You could just tell that it's somebody who is well-read, has thought about these issues, is looking at it from different angles, has uh, looked at different failure points why certain solutions wouldn't work. Um, it was really exciting. We actually went out of our way at the end to get mm -hmm. his card, so we are going to have him on the show. Assuming he'll he'll join us, we hope he we hope he will. Well, he already said he would. So he said he would. Yeah, yeah. He seems like a guy that follows through. Uh, but anyway, they made some interesting points. Anything in particular that stood out out of what you saw? So the the thing that he said that married some ideas in my head was somebody came up and he's like, "Well, how can things be decentralized?" If he was talking a lot about um, the different economies and the different uh, 
democracies and they're like how can it be one person one vote and still be decentralized you'll automatically have that problem of people getting together and he was saying it's not all about decentralization That's you right. can't just rely on that which is something that in my mind i'm always all about that and what he said is the reason we're seeing decentralization as the solution is because the centralized powers are all corrupt at this point right they're all shit so is there a centralized power that could be less corrupt maybe and that's why decentralization is important but also you have to realize it can't just be by itself because his example was you could have two guys burning you know incinerating carcinogens into the atmosphere in their backyard if there's decentralization there's no law to tell them they can't right basically so. any kind of environmental law is a form of centralization so the point that he was really driving home is we have seen the failure points in centralized systems and since we have so many centralized systems and there's so many failures everywhere, we naturally tend to think, oh, okay, so the solution is decentralization and that's the goal. And he really puts into context, no, that's not the goal. That is one of the alternative structures that we can use for certain things. But sometimes it's going to be better to have a centralized structure. Sometimes it's going to be better to have decentralized structure. And specifically what I really like, because I like this value a lot, is he thinks the key is transparency which I'm 100% on board with that. Right. The, the value of transparency, because so much conflict and so much cheating arises from two participants or multiple participants not having the same information, not being able to trust each other, being able to lie, being able to you know manipulate the situation. So the more transparency you have, the more we can engage in productive uh, mutual relationships, whether they're economic, political, or even personal. Yep. And well. On the corporation side, I don't know if I agree with the individual side, but or the corporation or the centralized power. So, keeping them accountable with transparency is super important. I don't know about personally. I don't want to signal on everything I do, but he mentioned Bitcoin is like really shitty for buying a coffee because do we need that coffee information stored for the next 500 years? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. It's differentiating between the information that actually needs to be stored on the blockchain and that. And uh, I'll say another thing that I love that he brought up, because we were talking about poverty, and he actually, I felt he was one of the only panelists that really started digging deep as to why we have such disproportionate poverty all over the world. Why is it that we have billions of dollars of wealth in certain parts of the, of the world, while certain areas are struggling to live on just a few dollars a day? And the two main concepts that he brought up was technology diffusion, how long it takes for technology to actually get to all these remote areas, but also colonialism. And I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough, right? We always look at the world as it is right now and try to look at it in a vacuum as opposed to actually saying, okay, how did we get here? What is the history? We can't ignore the fact that Europe colonized the Americas, Africa, Asia, and the first thing that they did was start extracting resources. The first thing that they did was start extracting wealth. So when these societies came to, uh, you know, full, let's say full development, a lot of the resources that would have been used for investment are no longer there. So I think he talked a lot about the root causes of the poverty that we're discussing. Instead of just saying, oh, okay, this is how blockchain can solve it, uh, he did a more of a long-term view, which I really liked. Right, yeah. So it's definitely part of the solution. It's not couple of funny moments uh, when the guy asked the crowd who here knows what TCP IP is and he's in a crypto crowd so like yeah, yeah everybody knew and he's like oh he you guys are not the standard American audience and I was yeah. like what? why? Yeah. <laughs> why, but, why but his, his point though which I do like is 
Sometimes we focus too much on, oh, well, crypto's hard to understand. We've made this point on the show before, Brent, where yep. we're like, yeah, but the whole point is for people not to understand it. Yep. If, if crypto's going to be useful, you don't, it's not like your average old lady needs to figure out what the, you know, how many transactions per second it is or uh, what's the block time or any of that stuff. Because when you use the internet, you have no idea what's going on underneath. You just want to click on the button that has a little envelope, and when you click on that, your email pops up. And then when you click that button, it sends it to that person, and there's ways for them to know who sent it and all that stuff. You don't need to know the underlying structure unless you're in the business, unless you're in the industry. That applies to blockchain. We just need to make it easy and accessible. Well, well, not we. They. 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 Yeah. We need to enjoy. <laughs> we it. need to just tell you what we think. <laughs> so stick with us. I don't know how much more of these we're gonna we're gonna hit up. Not gonna say it was lackluster, but there was like not that many super interesting panels, and we got the wrong time on the governance one. We thought we were gonna do a governance panel, and it was yeah, unfortunately that was at twelve thirty, like the scheduled an update or something, so yeah. we missed it. Kinda the schedule sucks. and this posted schedule and the app had different times. We figured that the app would be the most updated one, and yeah. uh, we guessed wrong. No, we're wrong. So, uh, anything else? Now we're we're gonna go try to talk to some more people. Maybe talk to somebody from Engine. We don't know. We're gonna see. Or check out some non-crypto stuff because at the end of the day, we're gamers and yep. this is the gaming convention going on. Well, that was a great interview of us, by us, for <laughs> I, us. I'm still laughing that you keep calling it an interview. I don't really <laughs> think this categorizes as an interview. This was me and you giving our thoughts about uh, the panel. But sure enough, Vinay Gupta, the guy we were talking about, was fascinating. And uh, as Brent mentioned, we're going to want to have him on the show but yeah, as as Brent mentioned already, that was really one of the only crypto panels that we got a chance to attend. Uh, we got to do some other South by Southwest stuff, like a lot of the gaming stuff, which was a lot of fun. The convention center was packed with indie games and merch and all that stuff. It was really cool. But this was our only blockchain. I mean, blockchain was only a small part of the festival, right, Brent? It was much smaller than I thought. I thought South by Southwest had like a big blockchain piece in it. <clears throat> it really didn't. But the festival itself was super cool. I mean, there was that whole couple week period in downtown Austin, everything gets transformed. You know, when we went into that one, we, we went to that uh, speakeasy, like that jazz bar and they had a $7 cover if you weren't a South by Southwest badge holder kind of thing. And Brent forgot his badge. So he had to pay the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Did you so guys get to see any uh, cool uh, music acts? We could have Daft Punk was there and they didn't where they weren't listed and Kareem left before that happened. And then he was mad because it's the second time now that he's missed Daft Punk because he was somewhere where he shouldn't have been. But we had other than the one like space thing, which I didn't have time to go to. I hadn't really heard of any of the artists, so they were very up and coming. And because I'm ridiculously busy here, I didn't have time to go check them out. Yeah. And same thing, like, so, you know, I went to, to the festival and I went to visit Brent, but two hours away from Houston, which is where my family is. So I wanted to spend some time with my parents. Uh, also had to check out the poker scene. So spent a lot of time with that. We did the flagship. All in all, we didn't really get to do as many of the Southwest events as we wanted to. Um, more still focused on the gaming, uh, some of the blockchain stuff. And uh, of course, all the fantastic and delicious food that there is in Austin. All I really heard was you picked your family over Daft Punk. Well, I didn't. Yeah, well, hold on a second. Just to be clear, great. I didn't know Daft Punk was playing. <laughs> Fair enough. Would you have made the same decision, Kareem? Well, <laughs> only I know the answer to that. And um, I'll give you a hint. I'm ashamed of the answer. So why don't we move on to what's coming up? Uh, well, uh, we've got some interesting things coming up. We're still, we have promoted Adam in the Discord to the maybe, possibly, 
future host phase. So he's he's there. He's got a little bit of an upgrade. So again, let him know if you want to reach out to him on Twitter. He's he's got a lot of followers there. You guys should be part of that. Say hey, join the Crypto Basic Pod. But <laughs> as far as other podcasts, I've gone on the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. We did like a two and a half, three hour back and forth talking about everything from Bitcoin to politics. I'm gonna release some portion of that before it actually goes live on his show he releases like 10 episodes at a time as a season like netflix so he said he wanted me to release that to kind of build the the hype so i'm i'm all about that we'll release that and kareem should have been there because it would it was a very kareem interview and i was basically saying some things that i think kareem would have said but i probably got them wrong Oh, man, I love it when you say things that you think I would have said. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Everybody loves that. Look at, Looking forward to that. All right, Brent, do we have any other podcast-related updates, or should we dive in to the news and current events? Yeah, let's do the, I think I'm going to do a... Uh a hacking roundtable-ish thing episode with Adam. We, we found a cool article that we want to talk about different ways you can attack blockchains. But Anthony Lasardi formerly of the Ethereum Classic Cooperative, uh, said that he would he would come on and talk about that stuff too. So thinking about that for the future. Awesome. All right. So let's kick things off with our rapid fire section. All right. For those of you that aren't familiar, our rapid fire section is where we cover some headlines that we think are worth bringing up, but maybe not articles that we're going to dive deep into. There might not be that much substance there. Just worth bringing up a couple of headlines. Brent, you're taking this one? Yep. All right. The The co-founder of Wikipedia says that you should be using the Brave browser and not Chrome. He he said that he used, <laughs> he used Chrome, realized how bad it was for privacy, switched to Firefox, but didn't really like Firefox that much. And then he switched to Brave. So interesting that the uh, Wikipedia people use Brave. Maybe they should start taking crypto for donations. Just a just a thought. Um. Anyway. One issue with Brave that kind of I tried to use it, and that's great that the Wikipedia co-founder is talking <laughs> about it. But my Gmail accounts or just Google, yeah, like anything, yeah, I think anything Gmail was blocked. So what? yeah, I couldn't use any email. So I I don't know if that was it. Just I tried on multiple different Brave browsers, and I was very uh, confused by that. Maybe that was just a glitch with my computer computers actually but yeah so that kind of got me straight made me stray away from brave even though it is kind of fast and it is how long cool. ago was that that was like uh maybe nine months to a year Ooh, i guess try i can try it again yeah i haven't had an issue it was a completely different browser then they use they're now a chromium skin they didn't used to be that i so i will it, admit i'm a full slave to the google overlord i use gmail calendar map everything google and i have not had an issue with brave my only uh, critique of brave actually is that i can't use chromecast to find stuff on here and send it over to my television in the living room yeah it does not integrate with chromecast very well all right. Anyway, moving on. You're supposed to stop me when I go out of my when we go too far off base. But the the answer is, I think if you reinstall Brave, you'll find a different solution because it's basically running the same way the Chrome browser runs. So Coinbase Pro has ended their zero percent maker fees, which is kind of like one of the last remaining reasons to use Coinbase. It used to be Coinbase Pro used to be GDAX, and that was 
where a lot of people kind of got their crypto because their fees were pretty reasonable and uh they're they're gone now so i don't know what they're going to replace them with i don't really care that much because for those checking i'm still banned from coinbase (laughs) (laughs) and presidential candidate andrew yang is the bitcoin slash crypto friendly candidate apparently he's the guy who's really talking a lot about universal basic income. He's also had some interesting things where it looks like he wants a social credit system, but really he's not going to be much of a factor as far as I can tell, but he's around. He's making some making some rounds, making a splash for himself. He was tweeting about Bitcoin in 2013 and the corrections in the price. So, so Brent, maybe he's richer than Trump. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. So listen, I do want to inject a little political hope here, and this is not... I thought you would. Well... I thought this was good news just from a national discourse perspective. Again, not endorsing any particular brand of politics. But one of the big criticisms of the parties in the past couple of years has been that they have been able to monopolize who gets into the debates. So, for example, during the last primary, there was a... You know, Andrew Yang, I consider one of these guys that doesn't have a really big chance of winning, but has some great ideas. Uh, And a lot of times the parties don't even want that to be a part of the discussion. So last time around, we had a guy named Larry Lessig, who is a professor, and his big platform was getting money out of politics. They literally changed the rules about who could get into a debate to make sure that he couldn't participate. And they've done this before in different ways. Apparently, though... There was so much backlash in 2016 that it looks like the DNC is altering the requirements to make the debate. And long story short, without getting into all the details, they're making it very attainable. And it looks like Andrew Gang already qualified. So even though this gentleman might not have a chance to, let's say, win a bunch of states, he can actually shape the conversation by being a part of the debates. So I look forward to that. That's more inclusive. Uh, I just want to say that he actually went on Rogan uh, maybe about a month ago, and Joe Rogan podcast. I assume most people should know who that is, but um, <laughs> oh yeah, Mike would talk about Joe Rogan on every episode. Yeah, but it, it almost feels like if you you go on Joe Rogan, then you just kind of like that's like all right, now you're like on the internet, and then people start knowing who you are more. But he was very he gave a lot of good points regarding universal basic income and some other things. And honestly, I've even been seeing just a lot of random uh, progressives, liberals, you know, that that have been, oh, wow, Andrew Yang, he could be a, uh, he seems like a good candidate so far. I can't really, and I've also been seeing some people more on the right uh, saying that as well. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just my small little echo chamber but um, I think you might have more of a shot than you think, Kareem. Uh, I mean, look, that would be fantastic. I think that it's great that he's even going to ha- have a chance to discuss his ideas on a national debate because the thing that yeah. you said that he's been making some great points, uh, call me a cynic, but that's precisely why he would have been kept out of the debates the last couple of times around. You know what I'm saying? You don't want people making good comments and making sense when uh, the parties are putting their political people out there. But yeah, as you're saying, this guy makes some great points. He's got some great ideas. And the fact that they're going to be a part of the discussion is exciting. Yes. All right. So much for that rapid fire section. I, I got Kareem politically going. What? I well, didn't that, was even get political. that was my bad. No, I didn't get political. And by the way, the rapid fire is a lot to stimulate discussion. You are just not allowed to go off the deep end. Weird tangents. <laughs> make a reference about a Marvel superhero. All right. So, yes, I want to make Marvel superhero references all day, every day. But these guys stopped me. I, they didn't even let me 
try to pick like which I, I, I used to want to add to the one ones like what Marvel superhero the coins are like, but that was vetoed by the rest of the team. Yeah. Apparently, you know, not everybody is a big Marvel fan. So one of the big epiphanies Brent had uh, on the show about, uh, I don't know, maybe hopefully sometime soon is that not everybody listening to the show is actually Brent. So very (laughs) exciting. (laughs) So, all right, Brent, time for bullish or bullshit. Our favorite game. Take it. All right. Bullish or bullshit, boys. Here is the title. You got to tell me if the title is accurate. Now, remember, this is not opinion. This is not anything like that. This is, does this title actually represent the what is actually happening? And the title is, Tether is not fully backed by fiat. I'm bullish on that being correct. Uh, I do think that Tether, is, there's some sort of more closer to bullshit than bullish. I mean, Tether. my personal bias here is clear. That is totally bullish. And even if the article is somehow bullshit, it doesn't matter because they're right. Tether is not fully backed. It's a scam. Go ahead, Brent. Would you change your opinion if I said that the source was Tether itself? (laughs) I would laugh and then maintain my opinion. All right. Well, you guys are both, both correct. This is bullish. From Tether itself, they are not fully backed by fiat. Oh, my God. So here are here is their new terms and conditions that were released a little while ago. We don't really know when they actually got released, but somebody noticed it the other day. Every tether is always 100% backed by our reserves, which include traditional currency and cash equivalents. And from time to time may include other assets and receivables from loans made by tether to third parties, which may include affiliated entities collectively reserves. Every tether is also one to one pegged to the US dollar, so one USDT is always valued by Tether at one USD. They also created a proof of funds page, which is kind of in line with something like TrueUSD, where they have a way to prove how much money they have, and you know, an audit would do that, but <laughs> they have a proof of funds page. You can click on this button that literally says proof of funds from Tether. Behind that button is the report from the not auditor lawyer guy, that says on this one day, I'm pretty sure they had the money. <laughs> and that's all it is. It's nothing else. I mean, Brent, can we dive in uh, a little deeper into this statement? We want to break this down because we're definitely not lawyers. We're not financial experts, but we do have pretty solid bullshit detectors, right? So mm-hmm. let's break this down a little bit. Every tether is always 100% backed by our reserves, which include traditional currency, cash equivalents, and from time to time, I love that phrasing, from time to time. Yeah, definitely not on that one day in the paper. Right. <laughs> from, from all of the times in between the little nuggets of transparency that we've pretended to put out, may include other assets and receivables from loans made by Tether to third parties. All right, so a couple of things here. Number one. <laughs> They're valuing loans at one to one. That's hilarious. Right. I mean, time to time, just saying time to time in a uh, any document <laughs> is basically, oh, that means like it could be any time, literally any time. There could be, there may be some, there may not be. Yeah. It's, or even the other way, it's maybe, maybe we have the reserves just in specific times, like this time and that time. And in between the time from one time to the other, we were not fully <laughs> packed. Basically, all the in betweeners. 
And not to mention here, Brent, one of the questions we had, if you remember, was how does Tether make money? And one of the assumptions that we made was, oh, well, they probably have deposits and maybe some investments, bonds, whatever, they could make money off of the interest. But now based on this, it seems like they're using that capital to make loans. So yep. does that mean... Are we getting any information about the credit worthiness of where these loans are going out? Is there any kind of risk nope. assessment? Uh, do we know nope. what interest they're gaining? If they're making nope. a lot of money, is it because they're taking on very risky loans? And what kind of institutions nope. are going to Tether as opposed to traditional banks? Kareem, I think you're really being too hard on Tether here. It's only from time to time that they might loan this money out. So I think it's really only if the founders like need some money for a short period of time, they'll take a loan or whatever. Right. <laughs> and that's the, last, <laughs> that's the last point I wanted to make. So hypothetically speaking, if I was one of the executives or, or people who has power at Tether, right, I could take $10 million from the reserve, give it to me, Pinky promised to pay it back, but technically it's still there because it's a loan and maybe they can even factor the interest into the loan reserves, right? So I could take that money off the top. Yep. Kareem, I think you've, I think you've found a great business model. I mean, that, that to me, that seems like a really good way to take everybody's money and give it to yourself. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So anybody who's a long-term listener, this does not come as a shock at all. Who would have possibly foreseen that giving somebody the ability to print money and obfuscate information would have them? <laughs> That's a good word. That's a good word. Thank you. Yeah, good. Kareem has all the best words. You, you should have. We a, have the best words. You should have a little jingle that just says "That's so tether." Whenever there's a a new tether yeah. segment, because it seems like <laughs> yeah, it, whenever somebody scams somebody, like instead of Carlos Matos, we're just like "That's a tether." Um, but hey, tether's trading at a dollar and one cent right now. So I don't know. I'll know. get back to you on that one, Brent. Oh, and by the way, which may include affiliated entities. I wonder if that refers to Bitfinex. It probably does. Probably does. It probably means they're loaning a bunch of money to to Bitfinex during the market downturn. Right. Who knows? Or that they're able to just take. I mean, I don't know. This is just ridiculous. We can we can move on. Literally, who knows? We have no idea because they, they left that that language is the most like non-committal language ever, but also very clear that they're no longer holding one dollar for one tether. Well. Only in between times, Brent. Oh, yeah, Only in between. There were times that they did. Yeah, like somebody was true. like, quick, we're going to have an audit. Make a deposit real quick. All right, cool. We can send that <laughs> money back. <laughs> uh, all right. Enough about Tether. Let's talk about a different exchange associate. Not not Bitfinex. Ah, whatever. That was a bad transition. Adam, you're going to talk to us about Binance. I thought it was a solid transition. Um, you, you just, you know, uh, Binance. Hey, this guy should be on the show all the time, man. <laughs> yeah, solid transition. I keep I keep Brent's Marvel references in check, and I compliment Kareem. Yeah, I'm doing great. So, <laughs> Binance Lite. Here we go. We're going to get to the transition. Binance Lite becomes the first, uh, sorry, the firm's first fiat to crypto on-ramp in Australia. So, basically, Binance is going in around the world you know i think two weeks ago when i was on we were talking about finance in argentina and now they're making deals with australia to get 1300 news agents which initially i had no idea what that is but it's basically just newsstands and kiosks or you know like little places you can buy magazines whatever they'll have access to bitcoin so that's pretty big the fact that in the end if you look at the article, you can actually see uh, a map of all 
1,300 news agents that are already available to use uh, Bitcoin for. Whoa. Are they mostly just like sitting in Melbourne or? No, no, no. It's No, it's around the uh, entire continent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I just clicked on it. Literally around. Like yeah. nothing's in the middle. I mean, I guess well, maybe that's have you the way ever Australia looked, is set Have up. you ever looked at like population densities of Australia? No. There's nothing in the middle. Yeah, there's no Well, that seems like there's no on ramp for the aborigines in the uh, desert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want, you could go to Tasmania and they got some kiosks just about everywhere. It's pretty impressive. Well, peace to you need to get Australia's act together there and maybe colonize the middle. I feel like there's a missed opportunity. <laughs> I would think there's a lot of snakes in the middle like, and a lot of random animals that just uh, are very predatory. I'm not sure, but... My understanding is that it's not just in the middle, but everywhere in everywhere. Australia, everything is trying to kill you. That's why they Literally. are so tough. Yeah. Australia will be the last country I visit, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. Call. I am legitimately scared of... Well, I mean, I'm not necessarily going to... Actually, it might be. Because every time you Google top 10 animals most likely to kill you, nine out of the 10 animals are from Australia. They have a snake that actively tries to break into your house. Why? Because it's attracted to light. So at night, when your lights are on in your house, Mr. Slither Snake guy is like, I'm going to go in there and fuck shit up. So, But Brent, you would go to Australia after you visit like North Korea and the Congo? Well, I mean, if I'm getting that far down on the list, maybe I make I put the risk of Australia a little bit under them. But when I said it's going to be the last, Kareem, I thought about that, and that statement actually is probably accurate because I will just die because I will go there and like a huntsman spider will eat my brains. Oh, so very interesting. Okay, well, yeah, let's bring us back on board, Adam. Yeah, wrap yeah. It. Let's, you, you're telling so, us about Binance. So, yeah. Also, um, has Binance been around for three years? Less than three years, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's less than three years for sure, I think. 2017, like mid-2017 is when they kind of launched, I think. I mean, it's really impressive that they're making such moves, such aggressive moves in such a short amount of time. They've really uh, kind of harnessed or, or, yeah, like they saw an opportunity and they really took advantage of it. I was using Poloniex or something a while back and then... That stopped, and then they had problems uh, with scaling, and then there, you know, there were all these other exchanges that had problems with scaling, and Binance kind of came in and really just crushed it. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, I, yeah, I agree completely, Adam. By the way, you know, we talked plenty on the show about how well Binance has done when it comes to this. They're really establishing a foothold. They're, you know, very likely going to be the leading name in the industry when it comes to exchanges. I do wonder though, Brent, you're usually on top of this kind of stuff. I haven't heard much more about their decentralized exchange competition. Do you know if that's still like, are they still striving towards that? Or was that kind of like a- Yeah, yeah, they're they're ready to launch it, but it's just not as decentralized as you would think, obviously. Ah, of course. So they, they're, it is a centralized, decentralized exchange. Um, I haven't looked into the the particulars lately but uh, i'm pretty sure they they got a lot of backlash for it being not really a dex so i don't know where it's currently at but that's where i that's where i where my fingers stopped being on the pulse so to speak i didn't really care anymore once they were just barely a dex <laughs> and nice. uh to wrap up this article um or this news piece so I, you need to get KYS, you know, know your serve, know your, what is it? KYC. Know, know your, your customer. customer. KYC, yeah. In order to use this, 
So it's not really great for privacy, but if you have a bunch of Bitcoin and you're an Australian and you just want to go to random places and use it, you don't mind that, you, you, why not? It's just another way to integrate. This is another thing that's, you know, integrating uh, cryptocurrency into real life, everyday life. Yeah. I don't see crypto in everyday life as being a very privacy-centric item. No. Uh, I think most of the time we're going to be looking at something that is not. So you want privacy, you're going to have to use a different coin than Bitcoin. Bitcoin was never supposed to be private. Yeah. There was it was always pseudo anonymous. So, yeah. and, but again, that's the beautiful thing about blockchain technology, distributed ledger technology, is that it, we can implement it in different directions. It's both going to be an amazing tool for privacy, and at the same time, be an amazing tool for transparency. Right? Depending on what we're trying to yep. achieve in different directions. Yes. And uh, now I'm going to try a transition. So they have plans to uh, do the same thing in Singapore at some point. And uh, speaking of deals, uh, Brent has some <laughs> info for you with IBM. Go ahead, Brent. That was amazing. Wow. Speaking of deals. Yeah. So I thought about doing a bullish or bullshit here, but I, I'm just going to go with it. IBM has partnered with the Stellar uh, Foundation and the XLM protocol. And this is not one of those like, or oh, we partnered because we were in a room together and somebody got a picture <laughs> thing. This is a real partnership. They are actually becoming a trusted agent and they are using the Stellar protocol to transfer value via what they're calling the IBM blockchain world wire. And that is going to be available, not going to be, is available live now in 72 countries, 47 different currencies, 44 banks are all involved and ibm is the entry and exit points they are the trusted agents for if you haven't listened to our xlm or xrp episodes basically the way those platforms work is they settle everything with their own token but you can transfer anything of value for anything else of value and almost instantly with very little risk you have to do you do have to trust these trusted agents for a few seconds but other than that you are pretty good so it's a much better way of moving money than than say automated clearinghouse which has been the same for 50 years 60 years you know they've been using the same system so the, the big benefit here is the ability to send somebody money in whatever country and whereas xrp and ripple they were targeting only institutions they don't really give a shit about the little person Stellar and XLM, and the reason I put this in my portfolio during our portfolio competition is they were using similar technology and they had similar missions, but they were targeting people. They wanted to bank the unbanked. They didn't want to further bank the banks. So they were actually trying to get this done on an individual level, which was more aligned with my values and what I want out of the cryptocurrency space. So they've been doing everything right as far as that is concerned. During my research on this, I found out that Reddit pretty much hates IBM. They're like, oh, they're, everything they've ever touched has gone to shit. And I think it's because of this one like hacking firm that they acquired and then basically ran into the ground called like Red Hat Services or something like that. And I guess they're a bunch of their employees came on Reddit and cried. So now Reddit is completely aligned with them. But IBM has been a pretty big company for a pretty long time. Yeah, I heard of them. Obviously. <laughs> I don't know like what their business is like. There's... People are saying that they do like overinflate reports and stuff like that. But IBM has been blockchain friendly or blockchain adjacent, at least for a long time. They've had Hyperledger and they've been working on that and they have different like implementations of Hyperledger also. So they 
they understand where blockchain is going. And I'm glad that they got involved with something decentralized and got went forward with it. Yeah, I do have to add, whether or not you like IBM, let us not forget that they are the reigning Jeopardy champions with all-knowing Watson crushing Ken Jennings and whoever the other guy was. Watson is pretty cool. We got to admit that, right? Yeah, boy. Uh, can I wait? All right. I would like to play against Watson, but I can Google at the same time. I bet I could beat him. I don't believe... Actually, no, I couldn't. He would do it faster. Yeah, and I don't believe Watson had access to Google. Well, not in theory. I mean, right? He did... It, what did he do? Like, they just picked the things to teach him or something? No, like, it already it? has a knowledge database. And more importantly, it was able to understand the questions and under Like, it was making some really... It was stuff you couldn't... It was like, uh, okay, so of the, the big one that Michio Kaku always talks about was like... It was super contextual where it was like, oh, a frothy hooray or something. And it's like, what is a meringue harangue? No, dude, Watson's amazing. What about, so wait, Brent is basically saying that he's the fastest Googler on the planet. He's faster (laughs) than Watson. And maybe that's something you can compare against some humans. You should see if that's a thing because, I mean. There should be a Googling competition. It's uh... My Google foo is on point, I think. As far as getting like unbiased answers, I'm very good at that. (laughs) All right. And uh, Brent, it looks like you had a little discussion here, or is that basically what you covered? You, why didn't they choose XRP, you ask? Oh, yeah, I, I I was going to just spark a discussion, but then I answered that myself. So I, I wrote that weirdly on the outline, and I apologize. But yeah, basically, I, we were going to talk about why they didn't use XRP, and I, and I think it's just pretty clear that XRP's mission is not aligned with what IBM was trying to accomplish with a world wire. They, they wanted this to be accessible to individuals eventually. Okay. There you go. Fair enough. So listen, guys, um, there's some controversy about IBM. Let's move on to a company that doesn't have controversy and we all know and love. Yes. Facebook. Oh, you transitioned to yourself. <laughs> ah, ah, transition to myself. All right, guys. So do you remember we talked a few weeks back or about this cryptocurrency that Facebook is coming up with? I think they're calling it Facecoin, but I don't think that's the official name. <laughs> that's just what people are <laughs> calling it. So just to be clear, we've now had two major reports talking about Facebook developing a cryptocurrency. They come from Bloomberg and the New York Times, mostly unnamed sources. Facebook hasn't confirmed that they're working on a cryptocurrency, but they've said something along the lines of like, oh yeah, we're exploring the benefits of distributed ledger technology, uh, etc, etc. But so keep in mind, take this with a grain of salt, unnamed sources coming from two different reports. However, what is it that they're trying to accomplish? What is the purpose? And this is being marketed as something that can a make Facebook a lot of money and b allegedly help them tackle the problem of fake news. Oh, allegedly. Allegedly. We'll explore. Yeah, quotes. So very Michael Jackson-y. One of the main goals and and one of the things that they present is that once Facebook establishes this currency, you would be able to, on WhatsApp, for example, WhatsApp, you would be able to send money to your contacts. So this would be a direct competition with PayPal or Venmo, but without... Or Line. I think Line can do that too. Line. I just love that. And you can do it in Facebook Messenger with with dollars right now, but not but not cryptos. Well, there you go. And then of course, one of the the big things that we can ask is, all right, you can send cryptocurrency, you can send, let's say, Facecoin from one WhatsApp user to another. 
but that doesn't mean that the person receiving that crypto is going to be able to turn that into the money that they need, right? So this is being sold a lot as remittances. Let's say, oh, people, you can send you can send it back to Thailand or send it back to Colombia. It's like, okay, but when that person tries to use that money, it's got to be legal tender. So unless Facebook manages to find a way to turn their coin into legal tender, either by having a million partnerships with businesses or by having partnerships with exchanges, this isn't really going to go very far. Now, the New York Times report says that Facebook has been talking to exchanges about this. So, Adam, you were talking before about how much Binance is really spreading across the globe. This could be powerful if they had a partnership with something like Binance, which would make it easy for people to turn, quote unquote, Facecoin into their local legal tender. I, I, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be Binance. So just because it seems... Uh, I, th I think Facebook's going to go with a uh, an American-based company, a U.S.-based company. For some so reason. that would make a lot of sense, but then it would cut them in their ability to take a share out of the remittances market, right? If we're going to send money to other countries, it's the people in those countries that need to be able to turn it into legal tender. So something like Coinbase, for example, I don't know if Coinbase has a presence in Africa and Asia. So that's one aspect of it to consider. And the article I was reading talks about a Barclays analyst, uh, Ross Sandler, who estimates that if Facebook was able to implement this coin, they would increase their revenue by about $19 billion by the year 2021. Now, we're going to put that guy on hold because I did a little research on him just for fun, but we'll come back to that. Okay. Well, uh, I, uh, but, but real quick before we go beyond Ross Sandler, isn't that a uh, terrible name to have in the late 90s? You're just like Adam Sandler and Ross from Friends, and you're just dealing with constantly people being like, are you Adam Sandler? Oh, Ross, ha, ha, ha. And just, yeah, I just thought that was worth <laughs> noting, you know? Yeah. Kareem, did you find that in your analysis? Did you find that? Um, I, I didn't go. I didn't go. I mean, somehow I think that your last name being Sandler isn't a huge negative in America, I'm sure. Have you seen any of his recent movies? Adam Sandler? His stand-up was amazing recently. <laughs> yeah, actually. I got my phone wallet keys. Phone wallet keys. That's from Sandler? Go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so how they would actually increase their revenue is by increasing their customer retention rates. Right, Facebook makes their money off of advertisers, and when you click on an advertisement on Facebook, and whoever you are, what are you doing with your life? But anyway, um, when you click on an advertisement on Facebook, if you actually wanted to buy something, you got to put in your credit card information, etc. So the idea is, if you could just click one button and send the money right away, this would increase conversion rates, which would increase advertising, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we haven't really gotten to the fake news part. So how? Could this help combat fake news? Well, the argument that they make is that we could use cryptography to authenticate users, right? You can use hash keys, all the stuff we're familiar with. And then you can make sure that the people who are posting something are actual people and not bots. Now, I don't really see how this solves the issue because it turns out people share fake news too. So yeah, all you yeah. did is make sure that it's not a bot, yeah. right? Maybe that does tackle the problem because the people share the fake news that is originally propagated by the bots, right? So the you'll get like the Russian troll thing that'll put out like something, share it a million times, and then and then real people start picking it up because they hate everybody, they hate them damn libtards, or they hate those fucking Republicans, and they share it. 
So yeah, but I mean, my understanding of how a lot of this stuff worked is, you know, you can get it to have traction on other social media sites. For example, you can get it to take traction on Twitter. Uh, you can have a couple of people who are working as part of your quote unquote troll farm, share it on Facebook. And more importantly, you just share it in groups of ignorant people or echo chambers that are going to go spread it anyway. Right. So, oh, yes, yeah, spread it. I don't really think that this is going to address the issue, but here's the thing. Wink, wink. I don't think Facebook cares at all. This is no, not about stopping fake news. This is about increasing revenue. Now, the other thing that this could help with, and I do see an argument for this, you guys know that Europe has gotten much stricter with uh, data privacy laws. So they have something specific called the General Data Protection Regulation. That's the GDRP. GDPR. Yeah, sorry, GDPR. I don't know why I wrote GDRP. And the idea is if, you're connect, if your data was connected to a specific personal hash, if you could delete that hash, then accessing your data would be more difficult or impossible. But this still makes Facebook the repository and the owner of all of this personal data. And then to get authenticated in the first place, you're going to need to trust Facebook even more. And my understanding is nobody trusts Facebook at all, except the people who are spreading the fake news already. So I guess... We'll just make it even more of an echo chamber. <laughs> so it's more or less a story, but I wanted to go back and take this as an opportunity to talk about Mr. Ross Sandler, the analyst. And I'm not trying to pick on him in particular. He just happened to be the person that was quoted in the article. So it turns out there's a website called Tip Ranks where different financial analysts are, their predictions or their suggestions are tracked and then people can you know, post how they feel about it, whether it worked. And then the website tracks more or less their success based on when they told you to buy or sell and how the stock has performed. Now, this guy has a success rate, quote unquote, of 61%, hey, better than 50%, right? So 149 of his tips out of 239 have worked out in a positive way. So his average return, guys, and this is where I want to, I'm going to play a little game with you. If you listen to this guy, and bought and sold and held every time that he told you to, your average return since 2009 would be 7.7%, which ranks him 511 out of 5,200 analysts on the website. That puts him in the 90th percentile. So we're talking about a 90th percentile analyst. Damn. If you listen to him from 2009, you would have an annualized return of 7.7%. Gentlemen. <laughs> Anybody want to take a guess what the S&P 500 returned in that time? Higher. Brent, did you already peak? No, I didn't. But I mean, 2009 is basically like the end of the recession. So if you started buying shit, then with blindfolded, you would probably be something like 13, 14% maybe. <clears throat> Adam, you want to take a guess? Uh, Yeah, uh, it's higher. And um, I bought Blizzard in 2014 and it 2x, so that's my only stock. So I'm better than Ross Sandler also. Boom. Boom. So Brent, you're in the right ballpark. Adam, your first guess that S&P would be better is 100% correct. If you just invested in an index fund for the S&P 500, the annualized return is around 13.15%. So yep. literally, an uh, analyst in the 90th percentile of this freaking website performed <laughs> at <laughs> half of the S&P 500. Because as we continue to tell you over and over again, these guys are not finance... Like, 
The analysts cannot predict the market. They simply cannot. Your best bet is to invest in the market as a whole or in a big sector, something you believe in, maybe tech, maybe medical, whatever. Invest in low-cost index funds and don't pay attention to people who think they're experts. Yes. Um, Especially us. So I have, I like how I just raised my hand like we're in class because this is a legitimate question. No, it's good. No, yeah, it works. So the S&P 500, Every day, it, so it's just the top 500 uh, stocks or top 500 market caps. Yeah, usually they pick it by market cap. Okay. So S&P is 500 market cap, NASDAQ is 2,000. Does it change every day or is it every week? Or Yeah, they go in and out of the index, I think. I don't know what the cutoff is, but the, the coin or the coins, <laughs> the stocks that are in it do change. And the Dow is the top 30. And it's really big news if you get into the Dow Jones Industrial App. Got it. Cool. All right. All right. And then one more thing for fun, Brent, it'll be up to you if you can include this in the show notes somehow or something. But I just, I know I'm really picking here. Like this might not be fair, but I was going through some of this guy's picks. You guys see where I wrote for funsies? Yep. Go ahead and do the drop down and look at his recommendation on this particular stock. Buy, 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 buy all the way down. And he literally <laughs> recommends you start selling at the absolute bottom. Now this stock happens to be Twitter. I don't have any opinion on Twitter as a company. I don't care if you buy, sell, I don't care. All I'm saying is that this Mr. Oh, I work for Barclays 90th percentile. You just see this chart where like, it's a straight line down and every step of the way he's telling you to buy the stock. And at the very bottom, he's like, sell, 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 sell. All right. These guys don't know shit. That's hey, to be fair, he said buy at $40 and went right up to 70. But then he said buy again at 50 and then buy again at 40 30, and, and buy, buy at 30 and 20. And uh, he kept saying buy all the way down to $10 before he told you to sell. So this is that bet uh, with Warren Buffett against a hedge fund saying he's just going to invest in the S&P 500 while you guys try to beat the stock market and I'm going to beat you. And he won a million dollars. Absolutely. I mean, and and there's another guy, I don't remember right now what his name is, but I know that the fire people, the, you know, retire early people are big fans of him, but he's got a book. But it was something like the longer the time period you go out, the less and less that any mutual fund manager can beat the market. So like, it's like, oh, if you go 10 years out, it's like a small percentage, let's say five, 10%. And then if you go 15 years out, it's like 1%. And then once you get to like 20, 30 years, literally nobody, no, none of them, like, 0.0 something percent can beat the market. Don't pay these people. Their job is to take big fees. That's what they do. They make money by charging you fees. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, the same thing applies in crypto. All those trading bots or things you can pay for to improve your trading or trading courses. They're all the same. The markets work the same way, man. This is not, I guarantee you there's somebody whose chart looks just like this in crypto where they were recommending buy all the way up to 20,000 Bitcoin. And then they're recommending buy all the way down to 1,000 or 2,000. The market's become inflated. It's kind of similar to uh, Instagram and social media where, you know, you have people that are doing videos of uh, recap videos of uh, music videos or something, and they're getting hits. And then it's just driving all of this up. Like, oh, they have subscribers and the music video subscribers. And, and uh, you know, let, let me tell you what the next pick is for, for this or that on the stock market. And you go to that person, then you listen to that person, and then that person is listening to someone else. It's just a massive funnel. 
and it yeah if you go to the top you'll find like that that's true with like the the ty lopez's and that kind of thing where they have like this marketing strategy and then you go to the top and you realize they just made it up so everybody's spouting whatever this is all the way down (laughs) and you're like oh the guy who they're all getting this from just like said it one day and that was the end of that Oh man, it's it's amazing. We've learned so much about how information can spread like that, you know, where, you know, somebody just says something or I see it on Reddit or Twitter all the time, you know, even things that align with your own political or economic biases, you see something that you, your brain likes the headline, so you want to believe it. And then you go in the comments and people are pointing out how blatantly false it is. And then the next day you're just seeing it repeated on Twitter, like it's fact, you know? A lot of yep. what I see is um, when uh, to your to that uh, instance is I'll actually see something get posted. Multiple people will be like either on Facebook or Reddit, be like, "That's bogus. It's fake news." And then months later, there'll just be some random person who clearly isn't very tech savvy or just kind of clicking, and they'll just post it. And then that's when it'll it'll become real because they like everyone else has already seen this or. You know, like they'll, it's kind of wild that would be recycled news five months later and that that'll get that person to think that it's real. And the last thing I'll say on this topic is I'll be the first person to say Reddit is definitely not the end. I'll be, uh, it's just as much of an echo chamber in a lot of ways, but the reason why the fake news phenomenon is so much more associated with something like Facebook is because at least in Reddit, when you when you go look at the comments, they're structured in such a way that you can actually see the refuting points, even if they're not right, even if the comment itself is the fake part, but at least you're getting to see a discussion and make some opinions about that. When you share shit on Facebook, it's just like, nobody goes through the comments because it's just an endly loosely structured thing based on nothing. And it's so much more echo chambery. You're not getting all the criticism. You're not getting all the... You know, even like a few days ago, Brent, I don't know if you saw on Reddit, the, the guy who opposed forced vaccinations got smallpox in Australia and whatever, you know, we're very pro-vaccine. We hate the <laughs> we hate the anti-vax movement. But the way the news was being spread, it was like, oh, this anti-vaccine politician who blah, blah, blah. And now he didn't. He probably got it from his kid. And the guy's vaccinated. His kids are vaccinated and he's pro-vaccine. The guy just happened to be against the mandatory vaccine. Now, I don't agree with his position, but it's being presented in such a ridiculous extremist way. It's not true that he was an anti-vaccine and that he got the disease from his kids. Like it just, you, you know what I'm saying? And you need a little bit of balance and the whole picture and more information. Agreed. That's why we have bullish or bullshit boys. We it's, it's not just in crypto, man. It's everywhere. You really have to, understand level two research this is actually and, uh, a good bullish or bullshit coming up oh Ooh. oh oh transition into the self now like, adam yes if there's one year i'm looking forward to it's the year 2027 yes yes that's a very important year it adds up to 11 which is a very prime number Oof. and it's two ones uh, Brent's stand-up, yeah, yeah. Uh, his math-based stand-up, uh, you know, he's, he's got an open mic this next week. You can go see him at uh, Flappers. Yes, I will no. add any numbers that you throw at me. 
because I'm very good at multiplication because my entire life, the way that I've handled sex is that if I feel like I'm going to finish too early, I start multiplying three digit numbers by themselves, by and three digit numbers in my head. here I come to save the day. Adam, talk to us about Cisco. All right. Cisco, uh, the thong <laughs> song. It's a good... <laughs> <laughs> no um oh so God. all right we're back on track so cisco reports by 2027 blockchain will capture 10 million 10 trillion i'm sorry not million not billion trillion of the world's wealth and wow we were we're not we i think what was it 2000 yeah like 2000 the bull run i think we hit 600 billion was the we were close to 800 at one point yeah pretty we sure definitely never made it to the one trill but that's a i wouldn't say it's a wild statement i think it makes sense um but it's a cool statement to read from a very high level tech involved company like cisco and uh it's just yeah i mean i think that that kind of gives it a lot of credibility and uh joe lubin he already believes in 20 years that it's going to be half of the world's wealth which is well yeah Joe Lubin being the founder of Ethereum. Yes. Or one of them. Yes. He, he, he said that before in a conversation. It wasn't in this article, but he has, uh, it was referenced because he's, he's, he's stated uh, this before that he believes that. And as uh, the innovation and, you know, just crypto and all these things slowly happening with like Binance being available in, in Australia for uh, kiosks and uh, just, you know, all these small little things happening, it's going to turn into a huge freaking snowball at some point where you cannot get away from crypto at all. You can't, you're just going to be hearing blockchain and all these different coins in, in, <laughs> in your everyday life, whenever that is. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's this year, but it may be, you know, 2021. Who knows? Or maybe yeah, you know, it's one, of, it, it's one of those things where it happens gradually. You know, and then it just starts happening very rapidly uh, and it becomes more and more ubiquitous. I got to tell you, this 10 trillion number, considering I just looked at, we go to coin market cap right now, it looks like the total market cap is around $140 billion. So, weak, you know, 100x. <laughs> yeah. So, 100x is pretty significant. I could probably get behind that because there's still so much wealth and project and development to be created. I got to tell you, though, the the half of the world's wealth, I'm pretty skeptical about that. Like half of the world's wealth. So the other like real estate, uh, yeah. minerals, uh, stock market, like, come well, on. He, they could be talking about specifically half the world's well, currency wealth, maybe. I don't know. For for what it's worth, I mean, yeah, I can see your skepticism. However, the report actually also claims that 83% of execs believe trust is the cornerstone of the digital economy. And the fact that you can automate trust between two parties with blockchain is that that was what is like seems to be the, the big end of what they love. And if execs start getting on board uh, from massive companies, like if massive companies start getting on board, you know, look at honestly the six hundred, eight hundred billion that was uh, money around the world. That was mostly like, pro like people. people. You know that yeah. that that, that didn't even show what you know com corporations or companies could do. So I have no freaking clue how high corporations could really take blockchain once things get rolling. I don't know if that necessarily means it's gonna. Be, they're all going to be cryptocurrencies, but there's just going to be a lot of money in blockchain being poured in 
in the in the early 2020s, I guess. The roaring 20s are coming back. Well, just as a reference point, here's he said that estimation. Here's an article that says estimated wealth in the U.S. alone, total wealth is about 98 trillion dollars, with total wealth at 317 trillion dollars. So half of the world's wealth today would be 150 trillion dollars, and if it continues exponential growth, we're talking about a lot. However, I will say one thing. Maybe when I first heard that sentence, half of the world's wealth would be in crypto. I mostly thought of it from a transfer aspect, right? Like crypto is taking over. But the way that I could see it happening is if crypto creates so much new wealth at an exponential rate, because so much new development and economic growth and stimulus happens, that maybe that's a way that I could see it. However, whether it's 50%, 10%, 10 trillion, 50 trillion, I'm looking forward to see where this ride is going. Yes, definitely agree there. And we're going to be there along the way to give you all the good information. All right, so we got a new segment here. This was introduced by our soon-to-be co-host, Mr. Levy, came up with the idea of shots fired because he spends a lot of time on World Star. Uh, <laughs> you know, so... All right. Anyway, I'm not talking about World Star. I am talking about our our favorite crypto personality, Craig Wright. Oh, Satoshi Nakamoto. What's he yes. up to? Well, he has rage quit Twitter <laughs> and deleted all 10,000 of his tweets. He uh you can check Social Blade. It'll show you that this happened. Um oh, I, should, I was supposed to do bullshit bullshit on this. Aren't those anyway. the same thing? Like you leave Twitter, you get rid of your Twitter account. You also delete all your tweets. I don't. I don't. Well, no. There's people who like shut down their Twitter accounts or whatever, but they or, or they stop using them. Like Charles Hoskinson does this all the time. He's like, I'm leaving Twitter, and then he like comes back a few weeks later, and he's like, All right, I'm back. Cat picture. Uh, but the you know people <laughs> will cry and they'll say they're leaving Twitter, and then they just reopen it. But as far as we can tell, he actually manually deleted all his stuff. And what's funny is somebody asked in one of the threads, did he manually delete all of his tweets or did he write like a script to do it? And somebody else was like, well, it's already proven that he can't code. So I don't <laughs> think he wrote a script. Um, yeah. So definitely uh, bullish for multiple reasons. It's true that he left Twitter and uh, bullish because that's just good for the crypto space in general. Um, he basically, the, the way this thing went down is he started like freaking out and saying that if anyone copied his tweets, or, or harassed him, he would sue them. And as you know, the internet oh, responds yeah. really well when idiots say stuff like that, right? So he immediately had all these bots like impersonating him like, almost instantaneously. Real there was quick, <laughs> Brent, sorry, I hate to interrupt you, but I don't know. Doesn't him threatening to sue people who copy his publicly posted tweets, doesn't that convince you a little more that he is the real Satoshi Nakamoto? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because that means that he's willing to sue people if he's copying stuff and they totally didn't copy anything. So, um, yeah, there, there were bots like crushing his face. They were just like trolling him nonstop. Even Jihan Wu from Bitmain started following the like most prominent bot that started doing like the funny stuff against him the fake uh, Craig Wright account. So I just pulled some like greatest hits tweets from from Craig Wright, just a little moratorium here. We'll just talk about his shots that he fired. Uh, He complained about not being on Coindesk's most influential people in crypto when they released it. And Coindesk responded, but but Satoshi Nakamoto is on the list (laughs) in a tweet. 
<laughs> so that's awesome. Some more proof that he's not Satoshi. Uh, in uh, 2017, he said 2018 was the year of Bitcoin Cash taking over. Uh, he said that Bitcoin isn't trustless. He told people who thought Bitcoin was permissionless to go work on EOS. He sold, or he said Bitcoin would go down to $1,000. He, and this is when it was at like 20. He answered the question, will you attack your enemies or let them all die on their own with yes, which is a very Mike Smith answer. Mike Smith was our boss and we used to email him, you know, hey, would you like me to do this or this? And he would respond, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then finally, he did, this this is another quote from him. This is it. Screw you, toddler. I'm going to undelete my writings. You want competition? Screw you. I'm going full billionaire mode. You want this? You get it. You ask for this. You will not like what is coming. You think I cannot choose what I prove to whom? Dot, 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 dot. Watch. Ugh. That was in June 2018. So that must God, be I hate him so much. I hate him so much. He went full billionaire. <laughs> Do you remember? This reminds me so much of that rant where he went off in some like he was doing some conference yeah. somewhere in another country and he just started going off like i could buy everything here like you're all like oh yep. my god I and hate this uh, finally I remember in back in august of 2018 he he did uh some dude said he can't code he probably couldn't even do hello world as a print and he proved that he could by copy and pasting some code but not changing the like a part that made it obvious that he copied and pasted the code so he did that and and basically stole that. Uh, remember, he's the one who pretends to be Satoshi Nakamoto, and we say pretends because it's pretty obvious uh, that he's not. His his signature that he said was proving that he was Satoshi was public information. And then he, I didn't even know about this one. I found this one. He released a paper that he apparently wrote in 2001 that is really similar to the original Bitcoin white paper. And he's like, I did this in 2001, guys. It has all these similarities. I'm totally Satoshi. It was similar to the second draft of the white paper, not the first one. So he clearly just like went back and made it and forgot to do it with the original, original white paper that was originally circulated by Satoshi. So he did the wrong one. This is what happens when you just can't say I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I mean, we he's see He's a this. scammer. He's a scammer. He lied about his education. He defrauded his partner and his family. He yeah. fucking faked documents to extract wealth. But don't forget, too, in the last two years, this guy has filed like 115 blockchain patents, even though he's not developing anything. He's a liar, a fraud. Ugh, he's awful. Yep. So good riddance. Hopefully this means he's gone from the cryptoverse in, in general and forever, and we'll never have to talk about him again, which I doubt. That's it. Good, good, good riddance. All right. So shots fired from fake Toshi right into his own face. Fantastic. Yep. Anything else we want to discuss? I know we don't have a mailbag section this week. Uh, we Brent, probably did, but I forgot to look. So sorry wait, if you wait, asked I, a mailbag I question. Good, I got a good, um, it's very important because it's March Madness. So I, there is a breakfast cereal bracket and, uh, what are your favorite, <laughs> like, what would your, you know, I think cinnamon toast crunch and lucky charm should always be number one, uh, Ooh, on each so side. I love chocolate, lucky charms, the chocolate with the marshmallows, that combination well, that's is quite fantastic. contrarian. That's a, uh, you know, a number 16 seed that might end up, you know, taking a, going all the way. Well, I'm just saying, wait, I thought this was personal yeah, favorites. No. What is this? I, I know it was a, it's a breakfast cereal bracket that I saw on Twitter, oh, but I was just gotcha. kind of, yeah. But I mean, chocolate lock, lucky charms are pretty good. What about you, Brent? 
Uh, Chocolate Lucky Charm sounds awesome. I don't I don't remember the brand, but there's some like some, one of the like healthier cereals that puts like almonds and like chocolate chunks in there and like granola baked thing. Those are pretty good. Those are pretty good. Mm. Brent, do you not uh, eat cereal? I do not really <laughs> eat cereal. Actually, I haven't. I'm trying to think of the last time I had a bowl of cereal. It's probably years. I mean, I, and I'm doing like intermittent fasting now, so it's not even I don't even eat till like three or four p.m. in a day. But like the. All right. Yeah, I can't. I, I mean, I do like cereal. It's one of my faves. And I also discovered a lactose intolerance that I didn't know I had for the longest time, which is, yeah. Anyway, we don't need to talk about my bowel movements on the air. I mean, but... we have yeah, yeah, you did. almond milk, soy milk, <laughs> cashew milk, oat um, milk. All right. So yeah, I guess uh, breakfast cereal bracket. Uh, there we go. Chocolate Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and regular Lucky Charms. I would probably pick Golden Grams, though. I'm all picking right. one. Golden Grams would be my. Oh, you know what's actually a really lame one that I love is the brown sugar oatmeal squares. Delicious. If you haven't tried them, try them. It's pretty good. And uh, we want to hear your, uh, you know, the crypto basics (laughs) audience, their favorite cereals because it's a very hot topic on Twitter right. right now. If you want to let us know your favorite breakfast cereal or you have any questions, please make sure you join our Discord. If you enjoy the content and you want to keep enjoying this type of content, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. And oh, I have some I have a Patreon update. Oh, okay. go ahead. So uh, all those of you who are Patreon members, I have now actually successfully gotten our crypto basic Patreon supporter non-fungible tokens on the engine blockchain it was user error i was doing something wrong it was shocker a little bit harder than it needed to be basically i had the token sent to a metamask address and the way metamask works with or the way engine works you basically have to look at them in the engine wallet right now because other wallets aren't really set up for erc 1155 tokens and you had to import your metamask address into the crypto wallet but I had it in the second address because the first one's mine and the second one is the podcast. So you can only import one address. So I wasn't even seeing it there. And I thought that it was me being stupid. I had to go through like some actual weird coding steps to get my second address in MetaMask brought in there. So, but it's there. It was user error. I was going to be upset with engine, but it is mine. Not particularly user-friendly. It did take me a long time to do it, but we have those tokens. So if you are part of the Crypto Basic Patreon, once you have actually been a member and been and actually had some money donated then you get this token to your engine wallet give us the address and we will send it it is a little picture with a little blurb that basically proves that you are a supporter it's got five engine tokens baked into it so you know if engine goes up then that's going to be good and that's that in order to get that one dollar an episode is the minimum and it'd be awesome if you joined our patreon we are being basically kept afloat by that alone right now so as you've noticed the last couple episodes there were no sponsors but if you're interested in being a sponsor reach out crypto basic podcast at gmail.com all right and please don't forget to rate us on itunes or wherever you get your podcast follow crypto basic brent on reddit yeah, that's really important to you huh brent you a little reddit action uh, is that in the yeah i mean i'm crypto basic brent on reddit i really i, I haven't really posted a bunch i think the last thing i posted was like how do i get health insurance or something i don't know well more <laughs> importantly we ask that you remember we are not financial advisors all investments have inherent risk our only expertise is in branded cereals so make sure you do your own research and thank you so much for listening i was here with brent philbin and adam Ruthless Levy. 
My name is Karim Baruke. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you next week. Have a great week. We are out. World Star.